There was a woman who, in the early 1900s, this is Ireland, and electricity was just about passing through and starting to come into the homes of many people. And this woman, she was well off, but very frugal, and uh, she was one of the first people in the town to get electricity in her house. So they installed all the electricity, and one of the checkers came round to check the uh, status of it, how it was all going, the meter to see how much money she was clocking up. And to his surprise, there was next to nothing being used. Perplexed by this, he went up to her like, why, your your meat's so solo, are you even bothering to use your electricity? And she said, oh yes, definitely using it. And he was like, well, there's something wrong with the meter, and this is a great scam you're running right now. Or something's up, and she goes, yeah, this is how I use it. So as the day prolongs on, um, as it gets darker, I turn the lights on long enough to light the candles in my house. And then I turn the lights off. And that was a super interesting story that I heard. And I was like, that is amazing because she was tapped into a power source that she did not use. Her house was connected, but it was not altered. This is the point I want to make about the Holy Spirit, is that we are connected, but we are not altered. We are connected by the most powerful source, electricity, yet we don't switch it on and we don't allow it to alter us. And so we can be unaware of what we are connected to. It's like the gym equipment that's sitting in your house. It's holding clothes really well, but it's not being used for the very purpose it was designed for. Let's bring it home another level. I've been there. I had the running machine. It had all the clothes. It was a great storage unit. But it's never used for what it truly was meant to be used for. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we misunderstand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. 59% of people believe the Holy Spirit is a divine power source rather than a person. That's 59% that believe that we have Jedi powers to move things with the force of the Holy Spirit. 59% of people, and we miss the connection that the Holy Spirit really is, a force not to control and manipulate. And so this passage that we just read today on the night before Jesus would go to the cross, Jesus as a good father was saying, I know you're scared, I know you're freaked out, but I want to spend some time about what I'm leaving you. It's interesting, John, up to this point, 12 chapters were about the significance of who Jesus was. John is a masterful movie teller, and he's pulling out these powerful stories of who Jesus is. And then suddenly, in chapter 13, stops and spends six chapters on the night before Jesus is crucified. That's interesting. There is no other area in the Gospels that gets that amount of like time or equity. And so for us, we've got to slow down and think, why John, Papa John, not the pizza, but Papa John, older John, who's reflecting, he's writing this story, and he's reflecting back on his own life, and somehow this night was more impactful than any other miracle. Even the resurrection 
He gave more equity of writing to this one night because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when John opens up the words of Jesus and says, I'm going away, but if you love me, I'm going to be able to give someone even better, even more than who I am. And he would use this phrase, the helper. This is the only time in any of the gospel writers that they refer to the Holy Spirit as the helper. And four times John will use this term helper, which is paracletes. The two-part word, para, meaning to come alongside. Think uh, paralegal or paramedic. Someone that comes alongside to aid the person. And cleat means to call. It is someone to call alongside. It is someone that calls on your behalf as you stand alongside. That he is your defense. He is the one who is calling to God on your behalf, to call alongside. And what is the first thing that John wants for us to know about this agent that comes alongside to call on on behalf? This is the first thing that John wants to know. I will send you another. Now that word in the Greek, another, is a loss. And that another is exactly the same. It's like when you have a really good piece of food And you're like, I'll have another piece. Uh, A secret to our household is that uh, Rachel makes the most amazing desserts, which she did discover in England. And by far, every person that has come over to our house has said this is the best dessert they've ever had. So it's English, so immediately, yes, it would be better. Um, Because that's my own biasm. And it's called sticky toffee pudding. This thing is amazing. And every time people are like, I want the recipe. And for me, it's the temptation. It tastes so good, I want another piece. I can't just have one piece with ice cream with toffee drizzled on top. No, I need to have another piece because it's just that good. And that's what the word another means. It's exactly the same. It's something that we know so well. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another that tastes just as good as me, if not even better I'm going to give you, and this paraclete, this helper, will be with you forever. He carries on. For he will dwell with you and be in you. So he's not going to be just on you. He's going to be in you because that's the desire of a father to be intimate with his children. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you finishes off this kind of little short teaching of what this paraclete will bring. If anyone loves me again, they will keep my word and my Father will love them and I will come to them and make our home with them. The point that we need to understand before anything else, this helper, this Holy Spirit, the very foundation of who the Holy Spirit is, what he is all about, he is the helper of connection. Before you start with any of his power, with any of his spirit of truth, correction, anything the Holy Spirit brings, we must understand that his greatest call is that he connects us with the Heavenly Father. But not just connects us, he makes home in us. That's a beautiful truth, amen? That he's not just a God who's far off. No, he wants to dwell inside each and every one of us. It's good, Jesus was saying, that I go away... Because I understand you have orphan hearts. 
Jesus could not seem to heal the orphan heart with them. Remember Peter, who hung out with him for three years, seeing signs, wonders, miracles, doing it with himself, signs, wonders, and miracles, and it could not heal the orphan heart which Peter had, and he would deny Jesus. Because Jesus knew there was a better gift that he wanted to bring that would bring transformation. Because salvation is not just a transaction. Salvation is transformation. And we need a new heart. The great heart condition that we have is that we are orphan in heart. And Jesus knew, I'm not going to leave you just as orphans. I'm not just going to leave you physically, but I'm going to renew the orphan issue, the orphan condition of humanity. That back into Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve took the fruits... Because they believed that they had to do life by themselves. They believed that they needed to be in full control. And so it is good that he goes away. It is the joy of a father to make connection for a family. To make space of safety for a family. My greatest joy is that I get to be a father to my family where I get to create a safe place for my kids to belong, because that is the most important thing that we need in forever, for this age and now. The Laszlo hierarchy of needs, we have the physiological needs, the food, we need that, we need the water, we need the safety, we need the protection, we need love and belonging. Those are the first three needs of Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. That's before anything else can happen in your life, affirmation, purpose. You need to feel that you have provision, protection, and love. All of these three things need to be part of it. And that's why I believe if God designed us that way, then we must know the main and foundational mission of the Holy Spirit is to connect you to a new family, to connect you to a family. For my heart that I love, that I get to create space for my children to feel that desire. And this world so desperately needs. There's this story in 1952, of a probation officer in the New York City area. He was assisting with a 12-year-old who was extremely troubled, trying to find a home for him. He had, the 12-year-old had a religious background, knew Jesus, uh, but when trying to get them back into a home. He was so troubled, he went to the churches first. Would any of you be able to make home for this 12-year-old boy? And church after church after church, he went from Protestant to Catholic, Jewish, all these different denominations, and every one of them closed their door to the boy because they could not deal with his troublesome attitudes. The officer said this, I could do nothing to constructive for this boy, 12-year-old boy. If the principles of Christian love, this is the officer, had prevailed in the Bronx in 1952, perhaps a good home could have been found for that young man, this mixed-up lad. In fact, proving a better environment in which to grow up might have changed history. For you see, the boy was Lee Harvey. Oswald and the man who assassinated John F. Kennedy. This is the condition that we all have. And yes, that's kind of a dramatic story. 
But the reality is, is that we are all longing for a home. Could history be changed if we found belonging? Would those mass shootings, those issues that we see in front of them, would they be different if those people had found belonging, found a home? Does God know something that we don't, that we are so desperately missing a connection? It's foundational to our faith to know peace, conviction, truth of the Holy Spirit. You cannot know those things if you do not know that there is a Father who wants to make home in you. That He wants to be in you as you are in Him. That He wants the reciprocal heart. God's heart before anything else is to make home in you. J.I. Packer says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child. Having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts control of his worship, his prayers, his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Those who make much of being a child of God is a maturity that we all must grow in. If you want to understand, if you are growing in Jesus, in following Jesus, you must understand there is a Father who deeply loves you. You must understand that you are a child of God. God is passionate about connecting us with, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can misunderstand what the connection of the Holy Spirit is, right? We can misuse it. We can think it's just a power source or a good luck charm or a blessing that we can kind of try and manipulate. We can misunderstand it or just have no idea it even exists. But we must know that the foundational piece of the Holy Spirit is to connect us. It's to bring us as one. And so we can misunderstand the connection, but we can also just be misconnected, right? We can be misconnected. When I'm speaking to my wife, we can be speaking the same language, but we are miscommunicating. Has anyone had those kind of conversations? You're saying one thing and the other person is saying one thing, and we're just not connecting. And we're getting more frustrated, more angry, because we are just misconnected, passage I want to land on today is Romans 8 and 14 to 16. And this, for this is the gospel. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's good news today. Because of Jesus, you are led by the Spirit. You are a child of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you will live in fear again. And we'll come back to that line in a second. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. First point from this passage, slavery. The gospel is that we are children of God, and if we are children, we are provided for. Yet how many know in your heart you don't always feel provided for, protected? And so when you feel empty, where do you go? When you're feeling like you need something in your life, what vice, what thing do you use to fill that void? And the first one, just of the two I feel today, there is self and others. Self, 
We have to fix it. And that's our natural bent as Americans who are very well empowered, who have a lot of possibilities at hand for us. And so we fix it, the self. We can have self-righteousness. Well, I'm better than so-and-so. I can't look, as even Randa said, I don't want to come up and look like the weak one. How many people don't come up for prayer because they don't want to be the weak one? It's in all of us. What are people going to think when I come forward? I've got this, God. I don't need you. And it's a self-righteous attitude that we all carry, that we hate being a burden to someone else. Because the reality is, is that we think we've got it and I can do it by myself. I am better. Or there's self-pity. The self-pity. We can't see any goodness. There is no hope for me whatsoever. No one can save me. No one can help me. There is nobody and therefore I'm just going to rely on myself. Or self-sufficiency. Low-key, you believe that you are God. You believe that you are God of your own life and you make a crappy God. We all make crappy gods, but we feel like I've got it. I am the Savior. We don't expressively ever say that because that would be arrogant, but we believe it in our hearts and we believe it in our actions. I am self-sufficient. Or slavery, well, sorry, slavery to self. So we're slavery to our own desires. We are driven by our desires to keep fulfilling. And so therefore, if we are the sustainer of our lives, we are rattled with fear. In fact, I would say the progressive narrative, the most destructive part about it is this. Go find your desires. Go make your heart happy. Go find out what you love most because that's what defines you. And that is the most toxic narrative that the progressive movement offers. Your desires, your answers are found within yourself. And you were never created to be center of your universe. Anxiety and fear is only going to keep increasing as we keep on saying, you have the answer. We will see more people filled with anxiety, more suicides, more of these things because we were never meant to be center. We become slave to fear. Or we have a value of others to fix us. A value of others to fix us. When we marry, and maybe we do this subconsciously, we have an expectation that our spouse will be the answer and the fulfillment that we need in life. We think, if I just get married, that loneliness, that acceptance, that intimacy that I so desperately need, it will be fixed in another person. And how many married couples in this room know that that just doesn't happen? It just doesn't happen. Or maybe you try and find your fix, your desire in your workplace, in what other people's praise of how well you do, or your friends. And so we are riddled with fear because we don't actually ever want to show our vulnerability. We actually don't want to be vulnerable to the other people because we want them to help us, but we don't do the action that actually heals us, which is vulnerability. 
And so because we don't want to really show ourselves, but we want them to help us, we have this constant performance in our minds that I've got to be right. Again, I'm not pulling on you, Randa, but you literally speak all the time what we speak. You're like, I don't want to be the weak one. I don't want to be uh, the problem. Um, I just want, um, I've got to show the perfect Christian veneer picture when I turn up on a Sunday. And can I affirm all of you in the room, if you're new, we are broken people. This is an imperfect community and we are just following Jesus together. We're trying to work it out together, encouraging one another. And so that's the beautiful grace that we move towards. And so we can become so enslaved by the opinions of others. But there's good news today is that Romans, as it carries on this story, it says, the spirit you've received does not make you slaves. You need to fall into that fear again. Rather, the spirit you have received brought about your adoption to sonship. Just a quick word on the word adoption. Because a lot of times in this world, adoption means that you were rejected and maybe forgotten about on some level and there's a desperate need inside of you to feel belonging. And so when we hear the word adoption, we're like, that feels like I'm forgotten by another person and have kind of less authority, less belonging to that new family. That's a struggle that all people who are adopted wrestle through. But actually in the culture of Rome, adoption happened a lot. And actually when you were adopted into a family, you had more privilege than those who were blood related to the family. This is the cool thing. Because a father could kick out his son or daughter that he gave, you know, bore, he could kick them out. But anyone who was adopted into the family, they could never leave the family. In fact, they had all the privileges, all the other children did, all exactly the same. So if it was a son, it was someone who got the first That's the reality. It would be woven into the family with the same opportunities, the same blessing, and they could not be removed. That's why the Bible uses the language adoption, because it's the best. Sonship, don't get hung up on that language, because the sonship is for men and women. But it was the highest order that we have now been adopted into the entitlement a son would receive. You cannot be kicked out, and you would have the most of all. Sound like good news this morning? That's what you're adopted into by the Holy Spirit. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, a lot of times we read Abba, Father, we think, well, that's just a translation. The Bible's trying to help us out. The actual text uses an Aramaic Abba, which we'll get to in a sec, and the Greek word for Father. And so it's this dualism of who the Father is. He is powerful. He is Father. He is worthy of honor. But then he uses the word Abba, which is Daddy. Now, personally, I have a little hard time hearing prayers where it's Daddy, Father, God, um, when people pray. And I love people that can do Daddy, God, when they pray, because it is biblical. And I just have a hang-up on it. But it is the intimacy that God is saying, I am your daddy. I am the one who is most intimate to you. Isn't that cool that God would refer to himself as daddy, as that intimate word and language, that there is a God that so desperately wants to be close to you. This is the beautiful part here, and by him we cry. 
I've shared this illustration before, but it's so powerful to me. That when women give birth to their child, as they speak to their child, comforting that child, the baby's cry begins to change. And the baby's cry begins to mimic the cadence, the enunciation of what the woman's voice is. And so that's one of the many cool things that God does. That's why women can pick a cry out of a crowd. Because they somehow intuitively know actually the voice because it matches their voice. Unbeknownst to us. Isn't that cool? Like that God's that good. And so when we, who are given the Holy Spirit, we are actually given a brand new cry. And that's the beautiful thing. Filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives you a new cry today. He gives you a new ability to when you speak out, God hears you. God is changing your cry. He is giving you, as you hear His voice, you will learn His cry. I just wanted to encourage with one of my favorite verses in Zephaniah 3.17. I just want to invite the, the band up as we come to take communion today. Because there is a Father, the Lord your God, it says this, is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's an amazing truth today that we have been adopted into His family. Amen? Like This is the reality that you have all the privilege, all the worlds, but a lot of us can offer still into the orphan heart that says that I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to be able to do it. And Zephaniah says, there is a God who is calling out to you. He is loving on you. He is providing for you. Would you hear his cry so that you can cry out? It's the beautiful thing that when we come, today is Pentecost Sunday. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was ignited. What was the first action the Holy Spirit done? He brought about tongues that sounded the same. Tongues that were united. He undid the curse of Babel in Genesis and he made one tongue. One tongue that they would understand, that they would hear. And that's the heart of the Father, to bring adoption into a family. That all different cultures, all different nationalities, skin colors, diversity of socioeconomical, all came together as one. Because that was the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today, His heart is still the same. He still wants to connect you to the Father. He still wants you to know the intimacy of a God that is singing over you with gladness. There's a God who's singing over you with gladness today. He has redemption for you. He exalts over you. He with loud singing because He loves each and every one of us. As we come today, the communion table, I was reminded of the passage in Luke. As we come back to the night before the cross. And in this space of intimacy, Jesus would install to us the action of remembrance around a table of intimacy, a partaking of provision. We are reminded that the body is broken for us. And we are reminded that we are sealed with His blood 
into a new family, that we have a new righteousness, that we have a new way to live. In this story, I'll just read these verses to you. And when he gave thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of fruit from the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which I have given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. And after they'd eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the covenant in my blood. Then Jesus, in the account of Luke, shifts the conversation. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. And as I was reflecting on those words this morning, I was thinking about our message today of whether we are misconnected. For some of us, are we Judas today that we come to the table? Because Judas hung out with Jesus but he never connected to Jesus as family, as seeing a God as a good father. Judas was the antithesis of someone who tries to do life without God as a father, as someone who provides. Judas tried to make it on his own. And the difference between Judas and Peter, Peter would say these words, where else can I go? You have the words of life. That no matter that Peter made a mistake, somehow he knew that he was in a new family. Somehow he knew and he came back to the family knowing there was nothing else, nowhere else that could satisfy him. And so today as we come to the table, is there an element of Judas in you today that says, God, I've got this. I'm self-sufficient. I've got myself. Or do we want to come today as Peter and say that we are broken, but we have need of a family, of a loving Father? So just as we dim the lights here, as we prepare our hearts for communion today.